You're listening to the TNT Effect, the Athletes Podcast. This is the podcast where athletes discuss their journey and sports professionals talk about how they support these athletes. I'm your host, Dr. Tierra Roll. Let's get into today's episode. Today, I'm speaking with Kristen Hamilton. She's a forward for the North Carolina Courage. And Kristen, what's up? How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Hey, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Of course. So you're like killing it right now. You have <laughs> so much going on. I mean, your 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 background is uh, pretty impressive. And mm-hmm. so I want you to tell us about your background, starting with like how you got started in the sport and just that journey to get to where you are now. Yeah, it's been um, it's been a pretty crazy, crazy journey. <laughs> um, I started when I was four years old. Um, I think every American child has, has grown up playing soccer. Um, for me, it was my next door neighbor who was playing and he was a little bit older than me and I just looked up to him so much and ended up going to one of his games. And, um, yeah, I just asked my mom to sign me up and I've, I've been kind of playing ever since. Um, I, I grew up in Littleton, Colorado, played here my whole life, went to, um, Coleman high school, played soccer there, went to university of Denver. So kind of just stayed in, in the area um, played college, obviously college soccer, um, had a good career there and then ended up being drafted, um, to the national women's soccer league, which is what I'm currently playing in. And I was drafted to the Western New York flash that was 2014. Um, I actually ended up tearing my ACL my first year with that club. So that was kind of the first big hurdle I had to get over to kind of establish this career. And then Spent a whole year recovering, rehabbing, um, getting back to it, and then earned a contract 2015, and I've been playing ever since. So to, to back it up a little bit, because mm-hmm. you said a mouthful there, but yeah. to back it up. Um, so during your youth years, did you play in any like uh, on any academy teams in the youth on the youth national team or anything like that? So I never actually did. It was we have something called. ODP, Olympic Development Program, and that was kind of the gateway into the national team stuff that was around, and I just never really had an interest to do it. I went to one ODP training session, and I got there, and it they put me at, like, Defender or something, and I was really upset about it. I was really mad about it, <laughs> so I was like, I don't want to do this anymore, so I just, I just never really um, got into that, and then when I hit college, I remember my coach pulling me aside and saying, you know, the youth national team, you're like kind of next on the list to be called in as a forward. Is this something you're interested in? Um, and then that kind of just never panned out. So yeah, my path to my first cap with the national team last year is pretty unconventional in the sense that, yeah, I was not never really in youth camps. So in a grand scheme of things, it is possible to get connected with the national team without having to go through that pathway. Absolutely. I, 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 think it's probably more difficult um you know you grow up in that system and the coaches see you for so long and they see you grow and develop and when you're not really in that system they don't get to see your growth um necessarily in that setting so I think it is probably a little bit more difficult but yeah it's absolutely possible I mean it's more difficult but it's pretty sweet when you do get the opportunity and you're like man I you grind it out for so long and then there's the opportunity and it's like okay all right absolutely. somebody's watching somebody's yeah. seeing me <laughs> Okay, cool. When you were younger, did you ever dream of becoming a pro athlete? I did. I think I always wrote on my paper when it was, what do you want to be when you're older? Pro soccer player, pro soccer player, pro soccer player. But, um, you know, the history of pro leagues in the U.S. has been so rocky. You know, there's been three leagues and the first two folded within three years. So it just never seemed like a really viable path. Um, It never stopped me from dreaming of doing it, obviously. Um, And when I was growing up, it didn't seem feasible to go overseas right away um, and play professionally there so I kind of had the mindset of playing in the U.S. and playing pro in the U.S. and yeah um, I always always wanted to do that and like I said the the leagues were so turbulent that it was kind of I never knew if that would kind of come to fruition. And you had the opportunity to play overseas in, in Australia and so comparing NWSL with the W League how was that? It was different. It, um, it was awesome. 
first of all. I, the, the team, the club, everyone I played with there, everyone I met was just incredible. Um, professionalism of the club I was at was great too. So in terms of then facilities that I was training in were definitely comparable just to the NWCL, the um, access to trainers and physios and weight room and um, video sessions, stuff like that, that made kind of makes the NWCL a very professional league definitely translated. Um, I can't speak for other clubs cause I don't know how they're ran, but, um, for our club it was, it was definitely professional, but in terms of the competition, it's definitely a little bit lower, um, competition, a little bit lower speed. And I think it's just due to, they have young, young players. They don't have a college system there. So when they go to continue their careers after youth soccer, they go straight into playing in the W league. So there's young girls, 15 to 17 year old girls playing in this league um, whereas in America, you're going to college soccer first, and then you're getting those four years to establish kind of how to recover, how to train, how to kind of be more of a professional. And they don't really have that kind of transition over there. So you definitely saw the gap in um, maturity and then um, speed of play a little bit. But it was fun. It was kind of a new role for me to kind of get to mentor some younger players. Was it difficult for you transitioning from college to pro? It was. It was harder than it looks. <laughs> when I I remember being in college watching the Nibisal and I was like, oh, like, we could play at that level. You know, we could do that. And then you get out on the field and it's a lot faster than you think. There <laughs> so, you <go. laughs> they're very different. <laughs> so the speed of play for sure was a big thing to get used to and learn. Um for me and for most players, it takes about a week and you can kind of see the younger players get in. They just start to realize that everything has to be one touch, two touch. Your thought process has to be quicker. Things have to kind of click a lot faster than they did in college and you don't have as much time on the ball. So um, yeah, it was definitely different. I think that was probably the biggest transition. And then the fact that we're doing this for a job, you know, you're doing it for money, you're doing it for pay. So in college, there were girls who were only there because they're getting their school paid for. You know, so right. you have some girls that aren't taking soccer as seriously as you are, per se. And so that can kind of be frustrating. So when you get to the pro level, everyone's there because they want to play. And so it's 100% all the time. So it was a cool. Do you feel like there's a lot of pressure because this is your job, like your career? So I, I have to perform well, right? Or at least in my mind, <laughs> that's how it is. Yeah, um, I definitely. You know, like I said, it's a job and then first and foremost, it's a business as well. You know, so you got to look at it from the general manager side, the owner side, the coach's side, it is a business. And if you're not winning, if you're not a successful team or organization, they need to make changes. So at the end of the day, you know, my first year in the league was probably the most stressed I had been. It was just 2015 and under um, a different head coach and we actually weren't doing very well. And it was, it seemed like every week they're bringing a new player and a new player and a new player. And you were just, everyone was worried constantly that you were going to be the next player cut, um, that that person was going to come in and take your spot that, you know, so that was by far the most stressed I've been. Um, and you're just like a new one's coming in and who knows what, you know, the coach is going to like her better than they like you. And there's really no job security in, in the sense that our contracts are semi guaranteed. So you could just be waived and then that's it. So I'm like, dang, like, and there's a roster freeze date, but it's like right before the season ends. So I'm like, there's really no, no security in that. So yeah, definitely a stressful time. Um, I feel a little more secure now, <laughs> but that's good. I mean, now that you've been able to play because you told us that um, you tore your ACL. Mm -hmm. So walk us through that journey. Cause that was pretty, um, that was, you know, traumatic in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, it was, it was so difficult because it was my, my first injury. I, all through college, had nothing. I played and started every single one of my college games, never missed a minute. So for things like that, and then I go and do one of the worst injuries you can have kind of in my first, first preseason game with the club. It, it, mentally, I was just so defeated. At first, I was just like, man, like I was so close to accomplishing my dreams, things that I've dreamt about for so long to become a pro. Um, and so initially I was mad, frustrated. And then you go through the, well, I can't change anything about it now. So like dwelling on the past isn't going to fix my knee. <laughs> so right. all I can do now is stages of grief. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, I can't just keep dwelling on this. I got to focus on 
getting like set a goal where do I want to be at next year at this point and get myself there so I took I ended up having I tore my MCL my ACL and I actually ended up having a microfracture as well done which I'm thankful that took <laughs> and money feels great now but <laughs> yeah yeah really good but um so it was a long recovery process I was in a straight leg brace for six weeks before surgery and then I had surgery and then I was in a six a brace for six weeks after that non-weight bearing for, you know, like three months. And it was just, that was probably the hardest part is just not being able to walk around when I'm so used to being so active, couldn't sleep well, couldn't, you know, I just wasn't spending any energy. I just couldn't um, waste enough that I would sleep well at night. So it was a rough process there for like the first three months. And then once I started being able to walk and see progress, the little, little milestones that you can hit and, um, each day see growth and progress, then that was kind of motivation to just keep pushing and keep doing what I'm doing. And then, um, yeah, I finally started being able to run and stayed in touch with the coaches out in New York and just ended up getting myself back out there. So so what type of support did you get during that time, whether it was support from coaches, the sports medicine staff, and, you know, if there was sports psychology, any of those staff members? Yeah, um, Definitely. So the coach that I had out there when I hurt myself, he was, he was great. When I would reach out to him, he would talk about how, you know, just focus on getting myself back um, and healthy and, you know, I can get into preseason next year. And so having just that initial hope of, okay, he's, you know, seen what I can do for a week and he wants me back out here next year if I can get myself ready. So initially, first and foremost, that was kind of my big motivation. And then, from there, yeah, my family was great. You know, my mom and sister were always at my side, always helping me, always pushing me and um, making sure that I was mentally, you know, in a right place because it's tough. And I think people think of it more as a physical injury, which it is, but mentally it's so tough to get through. And I don't think that side of it was really talked about much even when I was going through it as, um, as much as it is now, kind of. So um, I actually didn't see any sports psychs or anything. I just kind of had the uh, medical staff at University of Denver as well that they kept seeing me and they were allowing me to come in and see the strength coaches there and um, use the trainers there and um, physical therapists and stuff. So that was really cool to have, uh, you know, kind of my university that I um, built my career with kind of just help build me back up and get me um, ready for next season. And that's actually pretty helpful um, where you came from, the the college that you came from. And and I think this happens at a lot of different universities and colleges where they are, even though the athlete left, they are still some form of support for the athlete when they come back, you know, for what it is they may need. If they're training for the Olympics, you know, maybe they need a facility to train it. And so, you know, there's there's still that support system there, too. And so I think that's a a really good thing for uh, for athletes. Yeah, it was awesome. They, they were great. No, everyone just would, you would text someone and be like, yep, I can see you this time. See you there. And I'd just drive up and be able to get in the weight room whenever I wanted, be able to see physical therapists whenever I wanted. It was just, yeah, I I don't think I would have gotten back as quickly without, without them for sure. Nice. And so throughout everything that you've been through at this point, and even as you continue your, your career, how do you discipline yourself on a day-to-day basis to continue to perform at such an elite level? Yeah, it's tough. You know, we have a long off season. So I feel like the off season is probably the biggest, um, biggest place where I find it to be difficult to make sure I'm, you know, staying disciplined, like you said, because in season it's, it's easy. You're, you have a game on the weekend and you got to be prepared for it. And if you want to play minutes, you have to be the best player you can be. You have to be the best mentally, physically, um, that you can be. So in, in season, I feel like it's, it's fairly easy. Um, it's when you don't have those, the competition to look forward to. And obviously this year in particular with, with COVID and it being very unknown with games and stuff, um, trying to keep, you know, in your mind, all right, I'm preparing for next season, but it's four months away. So I'm like, dang, like, (laughs) what do I do? But I, I do think it's important to give yourself rest, uh, you know, I'm finished a season. I'm not going to just go hundred percent right away. Like I, I rest is extremely important. Um, but yeah, it's, I think for me as like an elite athlete, it's 
that one extra percent. And if you can increase your game and your performance and your strength, your speed, your physicality, um, your technique, one extra percentage, that might be what gets you the full-time starting spot over somebody else. So I think for me, just the prospect of what the goal is and what I want to accomplish is, is kind of what keeps me on a straight path. Absolutely. Having that goal and then those little steps to get to it is definitely uh, imperative to your discipline, right? Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned COVID. Yeah. So we have to talk about <laughs> we have to talk about the Challenge Cup and being in the bubble and even now. So tell us about how that experience has been. Um so I came back from Australia and it was kind of just blew up. I came back in March, um, like March 16th, I think this year. And, oh, you um, would think of it. Like, yeah, you know, right, right when it was. Like I got right here and our preseason had been going for a week and it was canceled. Like everything was just done. So from that point to the challenge cup was, was tough as well. Cause it was a pretty strict quarantine within States as well. So it was, you weren't even supposed to hang out with your teammates. You weren't supposed to hang out with anybody. And we were doing individual like, training sessions with just you and your roommate out on the field at certain times and you couldn't really see anybody. So that was, um, that was tough because there was no competition in sight. Again, kind of that, that same thought that I was saying before is that we didn't know when we were going to play games, we didn't know, even about really the challenge cup at this point. So um, at this point I was like, well, let's stay fit and hope there's some sort of season, I guess. <laughs> and then, you know, the end of the cell had, they were great throughout the whole, the whole um, planning of the challenge cup. It was really professionally done and they got the voice and the opinion of the players. Um, and the players union did a really great job, um, you know, advocating for all the players and making sure it was a really safe environment. And it went obviously very successfully when we were in the bubble, we had no, no positive tests. Um, it was unfortunate that Orlando couldn't make the tournament as well. Yeah. But, I was, whew, that had to hurt. I'm, I'm pretty sure that was pretty. Uh, <laughs> I know we were, I, I was gutted for them. Like you just don't wish that upon anyone, you know, everybody at this level just wants to play games and wants to play and, they just couldn't. I felt so bad. There's girls who were coming back from having kids and might be their last seasons. And I'm like, dang, like, this is just a really, I felt so bad. I felt so bad for them. Um, 2020 has been a hard hitter. <laughs> yeah, it has. It really has. Um, yeah. So then we got to the challenge cup and it was, it, it was great. Um, you know, like I said, the bubble was extremely safe. It was challenging. <laughs> but it was safe and it felt, we felt comfortable and it was run really well, but it was tough mentally, like just sitting in a hotel room for a month and you could go to like team rooms, like shared rooms, but like it just, you couldn't do anything besides walk around the hotel outside of the hotel, like within the perimeter of the hotel with, with your mask on. And like, it just, it was, it was a really hard experience, but I think very successful and I am obviously grateful to all the sponsors who helped put on a successful event and um, CBS airing the games, which we had viewership numbers, which were higher than any. High. <laughs> yeah, they were very high. They were bigger than some of the English Premier League games and um, stuff like that. So that was really cool. I think overall it was a great success and it was, it was good to get kind of a, you know, I don't think many teams get a like knockout style tournament. And they don't get to really play under those conditions very much. And, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have been with a team who's made it to playoffs. So you kind of get to experience those knockout games. But half the teams don't get to experience, like, the pressures and the different things that come along with that. So that was kind of a cool opportunity for a lot of teams. Yeah, it was definitely a different type of uh, scenario because you had everybody pretty much – from ground zero, like you're starting, it's an even playing field. Like you had players who uh, may may have opted out, like some big name players who may have opted out. Then you had some players who got injured. Then you're like, okay, now you have play, players who may not have gotten an opportunity. Now they're playing. And so you have teams who like went further who you didn't expect to go further. <laughs> so it was, I mean, it was a pretty different type of a playoff experience. It was, and it was exciting. And I think, you know, Houston winning it all, it, it's cool. And I think people want to see that and they, they like seeing other teams flourish and kind of 
come into their own. But like you said, there's injuries and that was kind of the big risk of going into the bubble with such a short preseason is, are we going to be ready? And we're, you know, we're going with a short preseason, we're going into altitude. And then you're saying, all right, play this many games in a really short period of time. So everyone was actually very concerned about the injury risk. Um, and I think the players who opted out, that was probably one of the main reasons um, was risk of injury because just lack of preparation and older players and even younger players were like, I don't know if I can risk, risk that. So um, yeah, it was a challenge. It was It was a challenge. And, um, and I think you did see some injuries, which are extremely unfortunate. Um, and that's, you know, is the nature of the game, but at the same time, you know, that, that um, was tough going into that, that kind of setting. Yeah. And I imagine making this, the um, decision to play versus not to play was pretty challenging for everyone too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, absolutely. Yeah. So we talked about challenges um, of, you know, playing the game. What are some things that you enjoy the most about playing soccer? Oh man, by far the friendships. That's yeah. Hands down. I'm still friends with my very first soccer team. I met my best friend when I was four years old and we've been best friends ever since. So um, even just stemming from that, I've all handful of girls that I play college soccer with that are my best friends today as well. So, um, and I've just met so many incredible people. Um, so I, yeah, definitely the friendships that I've made and that will be lifelong. Um, and then on top of that, the travel, you know, you get to see different cities and see different States and, um, you know, you're playing a sport for a living. That's kind of, cool you know how many people dream of doing that and you are actually living that so sometimes when I'm feeling frustrated or you know upset about maybe not playing as many minutes as I want to play or you know whatever my kind of struggles might be I kind of try to remind myself that I'm one of 200 girls in the U.S. who are getting to play professionally and out of thousands and thousands of girls who have dreamt of doing this so I'm like that's it's really cool and helps keep me grateful for kind of the opportunities that I've, I've been given and stuff. So yeah, just, I mean, like I said, I'm getting paid to play a sport and play a game and get to travel with my best friends. (laughs) Is it difficult um, being away from family and friends? Yeah, that's probably one of the biggest um, and toughest things for sure. Um, All my life has been in Colorado. So I've most of my family there, most of my best friends here and, um, I, I've missed so many things and that's, that's one thing that sucks. Like I've missed a lot of my really good friends, weddings. I've missed babies being born and family events and reunions and Christmases and um, Thanksgivings and just, just time, you know, with, with your loved ones. And I've, that, those are the sacrifices I've kind of had to make to get here. And um, I think those are the little things you don't necessarily think of when you choose to choose to do this and so it it's been tough because you can't just be like oh I'm leaving to go to a friend's wedding if if it's your best friend and you're in the wedding or it's your sister and you're in the wedding yeah you can ask to miss a game and get there but um if you're just going to go to a random friend's wedding it's kind of difficult to ask to be uh, miss a game for you know it's it's your job and um each game's like extremely important throughout the season so it's it's tough. That's probably the hardest part of it all. Yeah. I think a lot of people look at professional athletes and they may say, um, oh, they, they, they're playing sports. They get to travel. They make a lot of money for some. <laughs> 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 they make a lot of money. Like, and- I don't know what sport you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But um, the sacrifices that you all have to make, it is a huge sacrifice. And it is to our entertainment, right? Um, obviously it's beneficial for you because you're doing something that you love and you're passionate, passionate about, or most people anyway, but there's so much because there's, there's life beyond sports. So all of those opportunities, like going to a wedding, um, babies being born, you don't get that back. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, looking back, I've, I've missed a couple of my really good friends' weddings and I'm, I think about it and I'm like, man, I'm just so bummed that I couldn't have been there with them for. And 
it's yeah they're big events too it's not like like you said they're weddings and you know hopefully they only happen once (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) um kids and my sister is pregnant she just told me she's pregnant and um you know she's due and it it's going to be right in in my season and she's like are you even going to be able to make it and I'm like this is tough you know this is this is hard I'm like yeah I would like to say yes 100% but I I can't guarantee that and I can't promise that and that's that's hard because they want you there as well as you wanting to be there so um yeah it's not easy yeah there's so so many times you have those unknown answers (laughs) And I don't know, sometimes they may not understand why, but then you have some who are really supportive and they do understand. Yeah. And so what are some, some things that you've learned important lifelong lessons uh, that you've learned during your career? Um, I guess it's probably not unique, Micah, but just patience and learning to accept kind of where you're at in that specific time in your life. So for me, I, I was sitting on a bench for two years. I hardly ever got any minutes and, and whatever, but I just kind of had to redefine my role within the team and understanding that, okay, this might be where I'm supposed to be right now. And why am I, why am I in this position? And do I think I deserve to be playing more? Yeah, of course, but I'm going to do everything I can in this moment to be the best teammate I can be the best version of myself, I can be kind of where I'm at and the um, opportunities I'm kind of given. So I think for me, it's just kind of accepting that. um, And not to say you get complacent and just don't try to, you know, push that further, get higher in life or um, get to where you want to be. But I think it's important to learn lessons at the moments you're you're at in life. Good. So Last week, I interviewed one of your coaches, actually, um, Coach Sean. (laughs) I asked him if one of your athletes, current or uh, or former athletes, were asked what type of impact he's had on their lives, what would they say? So this is actually a perfect opportunity for me to ask that question. (laughs) So so hopefully I'm not putting you on the spot. Um, It's fine, but what type of impact has he had on your life either as a player or even personally? Oh, he's such a great guy. Just just him and his character. Um, he came onto our team as just a volunteer coach. And one, to be a volunteer or anything, I think is it takes a special person. Um, you know, he wanted to learn. He wanted to grow and become, you know, a great head coach. And I think he will be a phenomenal head coach someday. And a lot of players that you'll talk to on our team and me specifically, he's done so much for me individually, he's so smart and knows the game and he's put in so much effort off the field with our video and um, making sure that sessions run smoothly. And he's done individual stuff with me on the side when I was coming back from injuries and all these little things that he puts together and he's puts everything into it all the time. And he's so selfless about it. It's so cool. So just seeing him, be a volunteer, like I said, volunteer to come and do this and give so much of his time to bettering us. And he is the epitome of patience. You know, he's, he's come and he deserves to be in a higher position in our team, no doubt about it. And he will be a higher position. He'll be a head coach someday for sure. But in the moment, he is the absolute epitome of patience. So yeah, he's been great. I'll let him know that I paid you to say that. I'm just yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a guy. Yeah, he is a great guy. Great yeah. guy. Um, so outside of soccer, do you have any other things going on? Any businesses or um, nonprofit organizations or anything that's that's happening? Um, I well, I did start Verge Elite Soccer, which was um soccer camps and clinics in, in the Denver area. Um, I had run a few of those, but I kind of put that business on hold while I was in Australia last year. So I couldn't really have an off season to run that. Um, but me and my best friend that I was telling you about before her name's Katie and she and I had always dreamt of either starting a gym together or starting a, um, club together, or, you know, doing soccer trainings or a little business. And so we just decided to do it and pull the trigger and, um, so we started Virgin Elite and that was two years ago now. And we 
yeah, it was a good first year. It was a good learning experience for the first year. Um, but for now, yeah, that's kind of on, on pause for me as I see what my off seasons, I, I'd like to continue to play overseas for a little while in my off seasons if it's available. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of it for now. Um, and us as the courage have, uh, we've talked about having a non, sorry, my dog's barking. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear it. <laughs> yeah, she goes crazy. She's nuts. Um, yeah, sorry. Um, and so us as the courage, we've, you know, in the, in the wake of all the social injustices that have going on and all the initiatives that we've kind of, um, been experiencing and obviously it's been experiencing for an extremely long time, but so much has been brought to the forefront and the forefront of conversations. And, you know, we've, we've made a commitment and we want to do what we can in, in our community and carry to, um, to help in a, in a certain way we can. So we have, um, we haven't officially established a foundation yet, but that's kind of in the works of establishing a foundation that we can run as players to benefit, um, the black community and the underprivileged, um, community in, in Cary and Raleigh. So, um, that's in the works. So I can't give you specific details yet, but that's, um, you know, something we are working towards as well. I'm glad that you actually brought that up, um, about the injustices because a lot of people believe that, oh, politics doesn't belong in sports and, Honestly, that's not political. That's just human. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah, I agree. And I don't understand. I I don't understand that point at all because we live in the same America. And so you want us to just go and perform on the weekend for you so you can be distracted from from politics. But all the issues that we feel like we we feel strongly about and we feel like we want to stand up for, you just you don't think we have a voice or should have a voice in that. And I think that's ridiculous. Yeah, because it does happen in sports. I mean, there are players and athletes who are ostracized for various reasons, right? Um, And one being the color of their skin, uh, you know, how they choose to live their lives and different things of that nature. Like, it is in sports, whether you want it to be or not. You may not see it (laughs) or hear about it, but it's there, right? Absolutely. And I obviously am probably not the, the person to be a voice for, you know, the black players in the NWSL, but I've had so many conversations with all of them and um, with the girls on our team, specifically Crystal Dunn, Lynn Williams, you know, Addison Merrick. Um, all those girls have, have been so great at being vocal and open and honest about sharing their experiences. And, you know, me being a white player throughout all of my career, I haven't experienced even close to what they've experienced. I haven't even seen some of the stuff um, that they talk about that they experience on, on it maybe a daily basis. So for me to kind of even open my eyes to what, what they deal with and how it is within sport. And, you know, Crystal, Crystal Dunn's big point kind of was how commentators speak of black athletes um, and just only using terms of speed and power and athleticism. And she's like, I've, I've cultivated um, my game to be, technical and I've focused so much on being a technical smart player because I didn't want that stereotype of just being a fast athletic girl I wanted to be the smart player the one who knows the game really well can read the game and um, I thought that was very interesting um, to listen to her kind of speak about as well so yeah it's it's a learning experience this year for for everyone and I think it's important to self-reflect and say hey I probably haven't been perfect in this and how can I help be an ally and um, yeah, help push all of these things forward. Absolutely. Before we get into the questions from parents, what are some things that you would tell younger players who aspire to play at the college level and even at the professional level? I would just say, one, understand the sacrifices for sure. You know, if, if this is something you truly want to do, it, it does take sacrifice. And even through college, it took sacrifice. You know, we couldn't go to the parties we want to go to. We couldn't, do the things on the weekend we necessarily wanted to do all the time. Um, So just kind of understanding that. But if you have something you're good at, get great at it. If you have something you're bad at, get good at it. You know, just continue to improve your game that 1%. And um, yeah, dedication, work hard, listen to your coaches, be coachable is probably one of a big thing. Be coachable. And if somebody's, you know, be able to take um, some constructive criticism, I think is a really important um, 
characteristic to have. Great points. Absolute great points. Okay, so question number one. What do you think was the greatest factor in your success? Was it mental, your mental game, physical conditioning, or technical skills, or anything else? Um, in my success, I would say my work ethic. Um, I think just being nonstop. You know, if it's hard to beat a player who outworks you. So I think it's just just staying um staying humble enough to work hard because I think when you get to a point where you think you're too good to work hard is is a downfall is like a point where you could fall off so um staying yeah staying humble I guess and then um my work ethic all right question number two are all the camps and all the dollars spent worth it or is it just a natural born talent to be a pro I definitely think it's a little bit of both uh, you know, you can see from a young age if the kid's athletic or not. But I do think it's cool to go to camps and clinics, and um, especially when they do the college showcase stuff, because some some girls don't have the platform to be seen. So these camps are an opportunity for players to get seen. So I, I do think that some of them are worth it. And I mean, there's so many online apps these days as well. You know, Technique Football, which is created by um, our players association founder, Yael Averbush, um, is just an online app. You can just download and it takes you through training sessions and little skills and stuff that you can do on the side. And, um, so doing, even just doing stuff like that at home is, is huge, but I think just being around other players that you're competitive with doing stuff on your own is great. And it's one thing, but it's totally different to play against players and seeing how others play. And, you know, you can pick things up from other people and you can learn from other people probably more than you do just watching videos and stuff. So I think it's important to be immersed in it. So I guess there's, there's a side of both, both things. A side of both. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's what is your end goal? And if yeah. the, the, if the athlete or your child is um, really has that focus mm-hmm. and the hunger to get to that level, that's when it becomes worth it <laughs> because mm-hmm. if they don't, then yeah, you're just throwing dollars. Yeah, that's a very good point. That's a very, very good point. Yeah. If they don't want to be there, then there's no point putting in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this, this one is, uh, I guess a comical one. Cake or pie? Ooh, pie. Pie. What kind of pie? Apple pie. No, no, no. <laughs> I don't like cooked fruit. Or- Oh, see, my mom doesn't either. I've been cooking a lot at home and she's like, no, I can't do that. (laughs) Um, But I do love a good cheesecake. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Uh, Let's see. What's next? Who was your biggest inspiration? Um, I think I always, we always get these, these questions. Um, Honestly, probably the whole 1999 Women's World Cup winning team, you know, I think that was kind of the first huge women's sport that we saw on TV and they're winning, you know, winning championships. And it was so inspirational that just seeing that kind of moment was probably in itself one of the most inspiring moments. That what? Yeah, that 99 team inspired so many people. (laughs) So many people. Okay, let's see. Uh, let's see. We answered that question already. Did you ever want to quit? If so, why? And what made you change your mind and keep going? Yeah, I the year after I tore my ACL and came back to playing, um, I was not playing hardly at all. I wasn't traveling to away trips. Um, that was tough. And so I then I'd go home. I went home that off season. And I was like, man, all my friends from college I play with are, they have great jobs and they're making great money. And, you know, do I, should I just stop doing this and just get a job and start to build my future and make money? And, you know, I had a definite moment where I was like, I I don't know if I can keep doing this in this role. Um, For me, what made me say is I had a conversation with my best friend, Katie, and she was, she was like, dude everybody wants to be doing what you're doing. And she's like, you have the rest of your life to get a desk job and work and do whatever you want. And she's like, people would kill to be in your position. She's like, if you're that unhappy, like try to find another team maybe. And, you know, just kind of motivated me to, and like I said, kind of opened my eyes to be like, 
I, I'm one of 200 girls getting to do this and, and I shouldn't be taking it for granted. And yeah, I want to be, you know, playing more and be in a different position than I am. And I, I need to work harder to get there. And so that kind of made me realize and say like, yeah, this is what I want to keep doing for as long as I can keep doing it. Kudos to Katie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shout out. <laughs> yep. And okay. Speaking of money, how do you manage your money? Because, you know, as an NWSL player, you know, without endorsements or whatever, I don't know if you, if you have endorsements, but you know, that's really where a lot of money comes from from the endorsements, yeah. but um, strictly from your pay with, with your team, how are you able to manage your finances? Um, well, I man, or I, um, I can't even think of the word. I graduated with a degree in finance. <laughs> what is that? Like, I can't even think of the word I'm thinking. <laughs> anyway, I, I did graduate college, I swear. <laughs> um, so yeah, my degree is in finance. So I love I love money. I love numbers. Um, I've always, it's been kind of something that I'm good. I'm really good at organizing things. I like to say organized. Um, but having said that my first couple of years in the league, I was making nothing. So I was lucky enough to be able to come home in the off season and stay with my mom and live for free. Um, now that the minimum wage is, I think eight or I think it's 20,000 this year. Um, which sounds like nothing, but you're also getting your house, your housing paid for year round. So you have year-round housing, you have free insurance. Um, basically, all we pay, unless you have a car payment, all we pay is your house bills, um, which is gas, electric, water, and your cable, which really isn't much. So if you're good with your money and you're smart about it, you really can save money. It does take a little discipline. And for me, it was finding, um, not just going to the grocery store and buying everything I wanted. I actually have an app on my phone called Mealime. And it builds your grocery list for you so you don't waste any food. And it is like the greatest app I've ever found ever. So little things like that or finding cheap meals if I need to save money, cheap meals that are cheap but are still nutritious for me and can help fuel my body. Um, but yeah, it's it just takes discipline, I would say, mainly. And I, of course, me being a nerd and finance nerd, I like built a spreadsheet for myself, <laughs> a little budget spreadsheet for myself. <laughs> everyone makes fun of me for it but it works so I yeah that's kind of what I do it's just if you see where your money's going is what I would say like if you look at your bank account and you see where it's going or you have a spreadsheet and see where it's going it's a lot easier to save because you're like wow I'm spending a lot of money on this spending a lot of money on this so if I'm seeing that and then I'm like oh I I can't eat out this week because I already spent $200 eating out so right you can you know see where it's going and that's where I'm like oh (laughs) um but yeah so that's kind of what I do so let's step back for a second you mentioned finding cheap meals that are still nutritious (laughs) because you know it is important for you to fuel your body properly and so what are some things that you like to eat um I honestly like everything like I'm the least picky eater on the face of the planet but in terms of finding like cheap meals and stuff when I am low on money and I am low for the week or my budget or whatever rice is always really cheap and brown rice is cheap and um my biggest thing like I'll have brown rice broccoli and chicken but I'll put a make a sauce and go with it and usually for me like that's enough to mix up the meals like a new sauce or a fresh sauce to put on it like like a peanut saute sauce, or honestly, sometimes I've even just put ranch on my rice and stuff. I'm like, you know what? It goes on everything, right? <laughs> um, no, but so for me, like that's kind of my cheap go-to meal. Even tuna, like cans of tuna. Um, I don't know. Some people don't like canned tuna, but I don't mind it. So even just having canned tuna and sweet potato, um, rice and tuna and broccoli, just honestly, cheap really cheap, really easy meals. And I would just spice it up with, um, some sauces. But if I could go gourmet, I would have Asian food (laughs) all day, every day. Yes. And you know what, if you were eating out Asian food, they tend to give you a lot so you can eat off of it at least twice. Oh yeah. (laughs) You got dinner and lunch. (laughs) Exactly. I love it. Beans are cheap too. Oh yes. Very cheap. Okay, so next question. How do you respond to unfair favoritism with coaching? Um, it's tough 
because it's so frustrating and sometimes it's so blatant and you just see it and you're like, like I did the same thing and got yelled at and they did the same thing and got praised. I'm like, what is going on? Um, so that's tough. Cause you can't really control what the coach thinks of you. All you can kind of control is yourself. So for me, it was like, okay, well, I'm just going to keep doing the right things. You know, I'm not going to get mad about it and then stop working hard at training because I know I'm just going to get yelled at anyway. It's kind of like, uh, okay, I'm going to try to change his mind by working hard, not by words. You know, I'm not going to be like, well, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm not going to mouth off to a coach ever. I'm not going to um, do that. But how I'm going to try to change the coach's mind is my, my work on the field. So if he's mad at me for giving the ball away, I'm going to make sure my passing completion is higher. I'm going to work on that. And um, I, yeah, so I would say just put your head down and work and do just continue to do all the right things. And eventually somebody will notice and it'll pay off. So in essence, your actions will speak louder than your words. Absolutely. Okay. What would you tell your 14-year-old self now? Uh, um, I probably, honestly, talking about like not doing the ODP stuff, <laughs> I probably would be like, go to those trainings. <laughs> and go and do it and just have fun and be involved in that. Um, so I guess take opportunities when they're presented, you know, don't turn anything down, make sure that, I mean, don't not turn anything down, but if an opportunity presents itself and you're a little skeptical about it, then I would probably be like, Hey, go and try that because you never know. Someone wants to know, are you leaving to play in Europe? Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> because we have a number of players who have left and now they're in Europe. Yeah. So People keep thinking that like the end of is falling apart because these players are leaving for Europe, but, like, I don't know if people understand that they're loans, like they're loan deals. So the club, the U.S. and teams own their rights still. They have to come back. Like, it's not like they're just gone for good. So like a lot of these players, I'm like, they're coming, they're coming back. They're on loan because we didn't have many games this year. So they're going to play and get game minutes in before next season in the NWSL. So yes. you'll see a lot of those girls return, a lot. Yeah, you'll see 90% of those girls return. And so for me, I actually, I'll, I would love to go play in Australia again, just on loan, but I am not leaving for Europe this year or probably not anytime soon, <laughs> unless it was an off season loan. But I, I, I think that NWSL is the most competitive, um, highest league in the world. So I kind of want to stay in this environment as long as I can. And then if the opportunity presents itself in the off season, I'd go for that. Makes sense. Uh, let's see. Who was your favorite coach to play for and why? So this is from elementary school all the way up until now. And then oh. the second part to that question is which or who's your favorite team and why soccer? So favorite coach. Favorite coach would probably be, oh, that's tough. There's, I honestly have only had one bad coach and I think that's pretty rare. So my club coach, my college coach and Paul Riley have been great. Um, so I guess in terms of just where I'm at now, Paul would probably be my favorite coach to play for. Um, he really truly knows how to get the best out of every player. And I, you've seen so many girls come into our team and not be even looked at by the national team by the end of a season or what with Paul that players have come, completely developed and turned around and, and gotten looks with the national team. So, um, Paul, and then my club coach growing up kind of instilled the work ethic in us. We ran a lot, <laughs> but, um, he, he definitely instilled that work, work ethic in me and I would not be here without him and um, his wife. Which team was your favorite to play for? Yes. Um, honestly, probably, the Western New York flash uh, when Paul took over that first year was probably the most fun because we, it was so unexpected that we won the championship that year. So every time we won a game, it was like five, four, because we couldn't defend, but we could score goals. <laughs> so we'd win games like five, four, three, four, like stuff like that. So we were like just completely underdogs and we've kind of kept that mentality through. And I think that's why we've been so successful, continue to be successful, but just that team in general, people were like, how on earth are they winning games? <laughs> <laughs> we were at the time, we were a bunch of no name people. 
Like there's just all these random girls thrown together. And Paul always jokes, he calls us the bad news bears. He said that we couldn't, <laughs> he said that we couldn't string five passes together at training. <laughs> so it was funny. Um, so I think that just cause it was so unexpected. And the, the last part to that question, why soccer? Why soccer? Why I like soccer? Yeah. Why you play soccer? Why you chose soccer? Yeah. Um, I think it's just kind of similar to stuff I've said is the, the people you meet and the experiences that I've gotten. If you can't get it anywhere else, you talk to people and I'm just away for the weekend and get to travel and I'm, I'm home and my job is to stay in shape and fit. And I just, I wouldn't trade it for anything at the moment. It's, I've met just incredible people, been to incredible places, um, got to experience championships and um, really high highs and really low lows. But um, yeah, it's been awesome. <clears throat> this next question has nothing to do with soccer. That's what. <laughs> Why do kamikaze pilots wear helmets? In the hopes <laughs> they survive. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I almost didn't ask that question, but I said, okay. I don't know. Good. You know, <laughs> questions will just leave the universe to answer. <laughs> okay. Um, what do you know now as an athlete that you wish you knew as a teen? Um, I, I probably would say the importance of recovery as a teen. And it's probably not as important when you're younger because your body just recovers so fast. Now that I'm older, I'm like, dang, I'm feeling it. <laughs> I play a game and I'm like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> I am, I'm hurting. So, but I learned that kind of late and I think you just take care of your body the whole time. And, you know, I think it just reduces your risk of injury, reduces, um, you know, all the, a lot of pain you go through <laughs> just, um, but yeah, I just say the importance of recovery probably. That's a good one. I like that. Uh, what are your top five speed and agility workouts and why? Oh, um, well, I guess on my own, it's because when we're with the team, we have a strength and conditioning coach. So he usually does the speed work and stuff with us. Um, in the off season, I like agility ladders a lot. Like I'll, I'll use ladders and, um, you know, do whatever exercises through those and, do five yards for an after 10 yards for an after 15 yards for an after. And, um, I just feel like if I continue to do those, I'm lighter on my feet and I just feel, um, just, just keeping that like quick, sharp, fast twitch muscle going. Um, and I think it's really important to get sprints in throughout the week. Um, whether that's, I, I think it's important to get sprints in before a game. You can't just like train at a low pace and never sprint and then get into a game and expect to sprint at hundred percent and not hurt yourself. So I think it's really important to get in like high speed sprinting, at least five sprints, um, at try to hit max speed a couple times, um, at least once a week. So for me, I at least try to keep that, um, throughout my off season as well. So I'll do sprints. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say anything like extremely specific that I necessarily do on a daily basis, but I usually try to play soccer, like pick up as well on the side and that kind of, it's like built in speed and agility a bit. So. Okay. What do you do to make money in the off season? Kind of touched on it a little bit, but. Um, I, I still do some like individual sessions and stuff with, with girls. Um, I had a, a good little clientele base that I, I keep in touch with and they're, they're great. They would text me throughout the season and watch games and, um, so that was really cool. Um, so just little training sessions, I guess, would be one of the main things. And then, um, yeah, I guess obviously last year I played in Australia. So that was kind of my way to make money in the off season as well. So, um, coaching, um, playing, hopefully playing would be ideal, continue to play and get paid, but right. Yeah. But outside of that, yeah. Being able to leverage, um, your skills, your talent, yeah. your knowledge, of the game exactly so yeah just mainly small sessions and stuff okay good okay the last question is do you stick out a very bad high school team the following season or get back with your club team to train 
So the end game is a small college or a small school in college, like NCCAA, the NAIA, or like maybe D2. And so, yeah, ultimately they just want to know, do you, do you continue to play on a bad team in your high school or go to your club team? Sometimes, uh, honestly, my high school team was really bad when I was playing, but it wasn't like how the pressure nowadays for kids to play year round club soccer is, is really high. And it wasn't really like that for me growing up. Um, but I will say college soccer was some of the best times, you know, it was way lower quality, but in saying that I feel like I built a lot of confidence in, in that kind of environment because, you know, maybe you're not the best on your club team, but you go to a high school team and you're the best. And I think confidence is uh, extremely important to success so if you can build some confidence in a league that's maybe a little bit lower, um, I think that can actually translate well to the club team. Um, it's probably good to mix in a bit so you're not just training at a low level for months and months and months. But if you can, you know, play games and score goals or, or defend whatever position they play, I don't know. Um, but, you know, be the, being the best on a team is, is really good for your confidence. So something like that, I think can be good in a sense, even if the quality is lower. Okay. And it's fun. Like it, it makes soccer fun again. And sometimes club soccer can be so it's stressful and it can be hard on kids to feel like it's a constant pressure to stay on the A team and say on, you know, whatever it is. And um, I think that high school soccer can just kind of bring the fun back into it. And that's kind of how I felt with when I went to Australia, even though the quality was a little bit lower it was fun and it just was carefree and stress-free and it just made soccer like that much more fun again. So I think it um, can definitely help. Yeah. I think that, um, and you know, you mentioned kind of mixing it up. I think the high school part in this particular scenario, like you said, maybe build some confidence, but then on a club team, maybe you're not um, as good on the club team in comparison to some of the other players. So it can kind of balance it out a little bit. Like you're not too cocky, but you're not like, yeah, exactly. your mindset isn't too lowly. Like, man, I suck. Like <laughs> you can balance it a little bit. And if, and if the goal is a D2 school or a lower D1 school, there are a lot of D1 schools and there's a lot of small D1 programs. And I think most kids would be shocked at the opportunities at D1 schools. I've, I coached a girl last off season. She is, she was good. And she was convinced she couldn't, she wasn't good enough to play D1. And I was like, you are like, you're absolutely good enough to play D1. And she's like, Oh really? Like talk to her parents. And they're like, you think? And I'm like, I, I, my mom even said when she was, when I started looking at colleges, she was like, is she good enough? I don't know. Cause she doesn't know much about sports either, but you know, parents, some parents might not, and they might not really know how good their kid is. And I think it's, important to look and send letters out to D1 schools anyway, because you never know. Right. Because there are some players on D1 that you're like, mm, <laughs> how? how? Why? <laughs> <laughs> but no, sometimes it's, it's just a matter of opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, you know, I think that there's always a chance. I mean, the worst I can say is no. Yeah, exactly. And then that's it. And then you go to the next next opportunity. Yeah. And there are players who walk on and then like outshine okay. some of the scholarship athletes. So yeah. it's possible. Yeah. Um, tell everybody how they can find you on social media. You can find me on Instagram at K underscore ham 17. Um, I actually don't even know my Twitter handle. I think it's K Hamilton 17. <laughs> I, I'm sure they can Google I use Instagram more than I don't tweet very often, but I like, you know, I, I'll, I'll get on there and like, like some stuff, <laughs> but um, Instagram is probably the, the best way. Best way to find you. Yeah. Um, best way to contact me. I have a Facebook page as well, but I don't post much on there. Okay. What about your business? Um, Virgilite. There's a Facebook page for that as well. There is an Instagram, but like I said, it's kind of been, been, uh, not really active so yeah there there won't be any new posts really until we kind of boot things back up okay um I mean if they wanted to look at what you have going on do you have a website yep virgileatesoccer.com got it okay cool well thank you so much Kristen
Thank you for tuning in today. And a special thank you to my guest. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit the subscribe button. To learn about the sports performance, rehab, and wellness services provided by Dr. Tierra, please go to www.thetntfect.com. You can also send questions to info at the TNT And remember, a healthy athlete is a whole athlete.